We today are beginning our next series in chapter 4. And this series is entitled Heirs of the Promise. This is part one that we're going to be looking at this morning uh, in Galatians. And Lord willing, we're going to be covering verses 1 through 16. But beginning in verse 26 of chapter 3, by way of introduction for some and segue into our section this morning, he says, For you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. And there's neither Jew nor Greek. There's no division there anymore. There's neither slave nor free. There is neither male nor female. God's not a respecter of persons. He doesn't care from about which side of the tracks you're from because in the family of God, all are welcomed in who have faith in Jesus. He says you are all one in Christ. Verse 28. You're all one. Chapter 3, Galatians. All one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ's, then you are of Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. Meaning that just because you were of the lineage of Abraham does not mean you are a son of faith. Those that believe in the promises of God are then likened to Abraham who believed the promises of God and it was accounted to him as righteousness. And it's such an amazing thing and I think one of the most uh, encouraging and exciting things for me as a pastor planting this church is seeing the diversity in our church. People from all different walks of life, all different backgrounds, all different ethnicities that have come to be a part of the big family of God through faith in Jesus. And if we are of faith in Jesus, then we are of Abraham's seed. And in context, this was a very particularly important point that Paul was making because the church in Galatia, though they originally had received Christ, they had received uh, uh, forgiveness of sins through faith, false teachers had come in. Those that said you must do all of this on top of having faith in Jesus in order to be saved. They had this false sense of spiritual pride because those false teachers were actually those that were practicing Judaism. And they said in order to be pleasing to God, you need to keep the law of Moses and have faith in Jesus. And those that are attempting to work their way to heaven, they're trapped really in their own self-righteousness. They're separated by their own self-righteousness from fellowship with God. But those that have faith have been given every right to be a children, uh, to be a child of God, and are children and heirs of the promise of God. And so, this morning, as we begin our new section, I have three points for you. Three of them uh, from chapter four. We're going to start now in verse one. And point number one is this: bondage, bondage. And it says in verse one of Galatians chapter four. Now I say that the heir as long as he is a child, does not differ at all from a slave, though he is master of all, but is under guardians and stewards until the time appointed by the Father. And so this young man, though he was set to inherit all things that pertain to his father, his father's house, the son would have less freedom than son of his father's household. Often, and you guys are probably aware of this, that the heir would have a servant of his father's usually overseeing him in everyday life. Uh, somebody that was responsible to take care of the son, to even instruct him, to train him, to keep an eye on him. 
And even though he had a servant overseeing him, he would eventually one day oversee the servant that was overseeing him as a child. And Paul states that there is an appointed time for a child to become an adult. And even too, there is also a time for a spiritual person to mature and to grow while not conforming to the world's standards. Do you remember what it was like before you came to faith in Jesus? Now, I've known some of you for a very long time, even before you were following the Lord. Do you remember what it was like to live your life according to the ways of the world? Do you remember what your life looked like when you lived it according to the lusts of the flesh? You would just do the things that everyone else did, and that would just be chalked up to, hey, that's, the way the, that's just the way things go. That's just the ways of the world. That's just how the ball bounces, the cookie crumbles, or whatever metaphor you want to use. That's just called everyday life. And I live my life just like everybody else. You know, people today will talk about, and you'll see it on Instagram with different memes and video clips, etc., you know, talking about instant karma, getting what you deserve. You know, we'll see how living your life a certain way, trying to make up for your bad deeds is the way that you should be living. You know, you live after the flesh, but then you try to make up for it with good deeds to kind of counterbalance it. See, before Jesus came, before Jesus was in our life, we were in bondage to the lusts of the flesh internally and in bondage to the ways of the world externally. So inside, we were under the control of sin. Controlled by our sinful nature. And then that played itself out with the external pressures of that's just the ways of the world. That's how you need to live your life. We lived like everyone else did. We talked like everyone else did. We were in the world. We were under the control of the things that we would now need to be in control of as mature Christians. We, as mature Christians, would need to be in control of now the very things that used to control us. So though we were destined to be heirs of the promises of God, we were born into a world that was fallen. And subsequently, our lives just slotted into the normal patterns of the world. We didn't need to be taught necessarily how to live like the world. We assimilated. In verse 3, as Paul is making this case again for grace through faith that we are saved, he is going to give them a progression that's actually a regression. They are progressing negatively. So in one sense, you'd say that's regression. You're falling from a place that you ought to be and you are actually proceeding in a direction that you ought not to be. And so he says, even so, verse 3, when we were children, we're in bondage under the elements of the world. Even so, when, verse 3, Galatians 4, we were children, we're in bondage under the elements of the world. We were born into the bondage of sin. And the basic principles of how the lusts of the flesh function in a world that has fallen into sin. That's us before Christ. We had to learn to be more like the world in order to survive sixth grade. 
That awkward stage in life where we are changing and really 6th, 7th, and 8th grade where the kids can be the most terrible and vicious that they can be. We had to learn to be more like the world in order to succeed in our careers. You know, that's just how they play ball on this court. You know, you'd, you know, in sports, sometimes you'd play pickup ball, basketball, in different courts around wherever, the country, in different states, and different people played by different rules. And you know, you would step on one court and be like, ah, prison rules, eh? Okay, I see. You know, this is just what we were born into. This is why those that were without Christ find themselves doing the same thing as 40-year-olds as they did back in high school. This is how you see the ways of the world keep progressing and taking its toll on individuals. And we have friends that are like that and family members that are like that. Hey, we did those same kind of things back in the day. You'll even see that in the church where there's, there's this arrested state of spiritual development where people that are professing Christ that have made a profession of faith are in a place of immaturity. They've never progressed. They have never grown. They've actually regressed. Because in the world, the world that we were born into, we had to progress in our worldly ways if we wanted to make it in the world. But even in light of that truth, we were confined under the law and under the authority of the law even as the child was under the authority of the servant of his father. There was a governance. See, God gave the law of Moses in order to keep His children from destroying themselves as well as to reveal to them that they needed something more than that they could provide for themselves in order to be right before God. So the law was given to protect man. But the law was also given to show man that they needed something more than what they could provide for themselves. Because they could not be perfect according to the law. The law showed you your sin. The law, as Paul said, was a tutor to point you to your need for a Savior. So all the world, every person that was born into this world was born in bondage to sin and they were also under the righteous laws of God in order that the sin should be exposed as evil. And this is why in this world today there is such an attack, a personal attack against God and His Word. Because the world is seeking acceptance. Acceptance. And if you don't accept their sin, then they cannot tolerate you though they preach tolerance of their sin. They preach tolerance, 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 but are intolerant of anyone that would say what they're doing is not right. And so we want to strike the commandments off of every public building. We want to shut down the teaching of God's Word and prayer and the acknowledgement that there is a God in heaven in every public school across the country. We want to remove it from government because inside the heart of man, they have a conscience that was given to them by God and they know what they're doing is evil. They cannot stand the church, they cannot stand the Bible, and they cannot stand God who instituted both of those things because their conscience condemns them. And if they feel that the church would accept their lifestyle, accept their sin, if they would remove the passages of the Holy Scriptures that show them their need for a Savior, then somehow they would be able to live with themselves in an easier way. As Christians, 
We need to step away from the ABCs of how the world works in order for us to be spiritually mature. Because there is, if you will, the ABCs of worldly living. It's just something we're born into and that's just the way people in the world live life. And really, it's the bondage to sin that keeps us in that arrested spiritual state. It's the bondage to sin that causes us to backslide and to go back to the natural elements of the world. According to the Old Testament Scriptures in Ezekiel chapter 18, verse 20, it very simply states this, the soul who sins shall die. Period. So as we were born into bondage to live after the lusts of the flesh, but then kept in line and made guilty before God through the law, we now see point number two, which is this, redemption. Redemption. Point number one is bondage. Bondage into sin. We are born into it. And even as that child was set to inherit these great blessings from his father, the inheritance of that household, he was kept under check. Kept in check. Kept under the law. But in verse 4, it says this, under point number 2, which again is redemption, it says, but when the fullness of the time had come, God sent forth His Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law that we might receive the adoption as sons. The redemption of God through His Son, Jesus Christ. That, uh, that here in the fullness of time, it just means when the time was right. At the appointed time, God knew when that appointed time was and He knew it since the beginning when the fall of man took place. God sent forth His Son for God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whoever would believe in Him would not perish, would not remain in bondage to sin, but have everlasting life. See, Jesus came. He was born into the world and He was under the law even as we were under the law. He was a human. Fully God, fully man. He came as a man to this world. See, God sent forth His only Son to redeem the world. To redeem those that were under the law. What does it mean to be under the law? Remember that those that were under the law were under the curse of the law. As the Scriptures say, we, we actually studied it in our last section, actually two sections ago. In verse 10 of Galatians 3, it says, for as many as are of the works of the law are under the curse. For it is written, cursed is everyone who does not continue in all things that are written in the book of the law to do them. If you are not living perfectly, then you are under the curse of sin. And that's it. And so when you're trying to say, I am making myself righteous by doing these things that are according to what we would consider good deeds, you're actually showing to the world and to those around you that you're under the curse of sin. And see, the issue was never your good deeds to begin with. It was the issue that you were born into bondage to sin and you must be redeemed in order to be a child of God. See, Jesus came to redeem those that were under the curse of the law enslaved to the natural elements of this world. Listen, the lusts of the flesh, 
The way that we live apart from Christ is very normal apart from Christ. We're controlled by the appetites of the flesh. We're very self-centered and we're looking out for our own. We're looking for things that gratify our flesh. What makes me feel good? What makes me look good? What are the things that I desire? Those things are all natural elements of the world. But Jesus came to redeem us from those things. I love dictionary.com. I love learning new words. I know it might sound a little nerdy to some people, but I love that kind of stuff. But dictionary.com defines the word redeem as this. Listen, to buy or pay off. Clear by payment. To buy back or to recover by payment or other satisfaction. That's what the dictionary defines the word as redeem. So really, when we sinned, we sold ourselves into slavery of sin. And you might think, yeah, that's pretty extreme, man. You sin and you think I'm now enslaved to sin? Well, actually, that's not my original thought. I didn't come up with that. Jesus did. In John 8, 34 and 35, and actually 36, Jesus says this, Most assuredly, I say to you, whoever commits sin is a slave of sin. And a slave does not abide in the house forever but a son abides forever. Therefore, if the Son, Jesus, capital S-O-N, makes you free, you shall be free indeed. How cool is that in what we're looking at in Galatians chapter 4 today to reference now what Jesus says in the Gospel of John regarding sons and slaves being set free or redeemed or remaining in bondage to sin. See, Jesus bought us out of slavery to sin. He paid off our debt, which was death, for we know the soul that sins shall die, as I already referenced for you in Ezekiel. And he satisfied the righteous requirements of God regarding the penalty for sin. And so not only did he purchase us out of slavery, get, but get this, he adopted us as sons and daughters. He adopted us. He made us his children. What a tremendous act of love that though we were dead in sin and slaves to sin, that Jesus laid down His life for the sins of the world and adopted us, you and me, making us heirs to the blessings of God. What a tremendous gift that is. And because we've been set free and adopted into the family of God, as it says, John 1, verses 12 and 13, but as many as received Jesus, to them He gave the right to become children of God. To those who believe in His name, who were, not born, who were born not of blood, it says. It's not something you inherit because you were born into it. Because your parents were. It says, it's not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. But of God. And now verse 6, Galatians 4, as it says, and because you are sons, God has sent forth the Spirit of His Son into your hearts, crying out, Abba, Father. Therefore, verse 7, you are no longer a slave, but a son. You are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir of God through Christ. <laughs> we have the personal type of relationship 
with the Creator of the universe, God Almighty, that allows for us to cry out to Him, Abba, Father. Which in English would just be Daddy. And that's the best thing in the world, isn't it, as a dad, to hear your kids say, Daddy? Harrison's at that point now, he's like, Daddy. And he'll run around the house and he'll say, Dad! Daddy! And I'm like, yes, Harrison, I'm upstairs. And he'll just run around and he likes the echo too. And he's like, Dad! And it's the coolest thing in the world. I'm like, hey, what are you doing? That's the kind of relationship that we now have with God. We're no longer enslaved to sin. We're no longer in bondage to the natural elements of this world. We have been redeemed from those things. We've been set free from those things. And now we call out to God, Dad? Daddy? That's the relationship that you have with your Heavenly Father. We're no longer slaves to sin. We're no longer without an inheritance from our Heavenly Father. Listen to what Paul states in recounting his conversion story to King Agrippa that God had called him in Acts 26.18. Listen to this. He's telling King Agrippa his story that God had called him now to open their eyes, to turn them from darkness to light, to turn them from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and an inheritance among those who are sanctified by faith in God. Those that are sanctified by faith in Jesus. What a cool thing. To open their eyes spiritually. To turn them from darkness to light. From the power of Satan to God. To be without an inheritance. To receive an inheritance as an heir. As a child of God. And this is to be contrasted with what Paul wrote in Ephesians 5.5 where he says, For this you know, that no fornicator, unclean person, or covetous man who is an idolater has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. That's who we are without Christ. We have no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God because we were born into bondage, controlled by the natural elements of this world. But God in His rich love While we were sinners, Christ died for us, redeeming us and making us His children. And this leads us to point number three, which I think is probably the saddest part of this morning's message. Point number three is regression. Regression. So you start off with the foundational truths of bondage. Bondage to sin. Under the control of the ways of this world. The lust of the flesh. The lust of the eyes. The pride of life. You have this glorious truth of God's redemptive power. We've been redeemed. We go from bondage to redemption. But then now we see in our third and final point this morning is regression in the church. Those Galatians that were in bondage to sin, that had been redeemed by Christ through faith in Him, have now regressed. And he says in verse 8, but then indeed, when you did not know God, you served those which by nature are not God's. Don't you remember from where you've come? 
Really, this is the pitfall for everyone, I believe, when you allow something to usurp the position of God in your life. And Paul wrote in the book of Romans in chapter 1, verses 20-21, through 21, I'm going to read from the New Living Translation, though we are going through the New King James Version. In the New Living Translation, it says, for ever since the world was created, people have seen the earth and the sky. Through everything God made, they can clearly see His invisible qualities, His eternal power and divine nature, so that they have no excuse for not knowing God. Yes, they knew God, but they wouldn't worship Him as God or even give Him thanks. And they began to think up foolish ideas of what God was like. As a result, their minds became dark and confused. The invisible God revealed through His creation. By nature, I know that there's God. I mean, I don't go out to the desert thinking that over the last 45 years a BMW has been involving in the sand. But yet, we'll take that same train of thought and think that applies to life on this planet. In Psalm 19, verses 1-3, through it says, "...the heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament shows His handiwork. Day unto day utters speech, and night unto night reveals knowledge, and there is no speech nor language where their voice is not heard." It doesn't matter which language you speak on this earth, you see the same sun and the same moon and the same sky and the same earth. The same creatures that live upon this earth and that live in the sea and that fly in the air. And that knowledge is available. For by creation of the world, really, we learn three things about God. Number one, His invisible attributes. His omniscience. At the macro level, it's how massive the universe is and how as we grow in our knowledge of science, we see the universe expanding. On the micro level, how complexly small the atomic and subatomic world is. Ravi Zacharias, who is just a tremendous mind and follower of Jesus, said this, and I quote, to sustain that the belief, or to sustain rather the belief that there is no God, atheism has to demonstrate infinite knowledge, which is tantamount to saying, I have infinite knowledge that there is no being in existence with infinite knowledge. End of quote. The next thing we see about the Lord is His eternal power, His omnipotence. The power to say, let there be, and it be. Thirdly, we see His deity, His Godhead, because you cannot possess omniscience and omnipotence without being God. But yet, as it says in Romans 1.25, people exchanged the truth of God for the lie, and listen to this, they worshipped and served the creature rather than the Creator who is blessed forever. Amen. They began serving that which was created instead of that which created. In verse 9 of Galatians 4, it says, but now, after you have known God or are rather known by God, how is it, listen, listen, how is it that you turn again to the weak and beggarly elements to which you desire again to be in bondage? And after point one and two, you're thinking, hallelujah. And then we get to verse nine and we're thinking, how can this be? Because you can see the regression here in that these followers of Jesus have fallen from the place of being set free from the elements of the world and have regressed into the world's way of thinking regarding salvation. Earn your way to heaven. 
Be a good enough person by living according to the law. Paul may be asking rhetorically, you desire to be trapped in that way of living? You desire to be under the oppression and pressure of man's attempt to be righteous in the sight of God? You know the Lord. And even furthermore, you're known by Him. In Nahum chapter 1, verse 7, there's a very fascinating verse that you should just file away. It says this, The Lord is good, and He has a stronghold in the day of trouble, and He knows those who trust in Him. He knows those who trust in Him. The Lord knows those who have faith in Him. So are you going, Galatian church, Christian, are you going to turn from the power of the Holy Spirit? The relationship that you have with God that enables you to say, Daddy, Abba, Father, and remove yourself from the place of grace being saved through faith. He says in verse 10, you observe days and months and seasons and years. This is speaking of the traditions of man. You've gone back into thinking that this is what makes you righteous or this is what God is looking for. And he says in verse 11, I am afraid for you lest I have labored for you in vain. See, the Galatian Christians were attempting to now observe the traditions of Judaism in order to be made righteous before God. They were adding to the righteous requirements of faith. In Romans 8, 3-6, it says, For what the law could not do in that it was weak through the flesh, God did by sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh on account of sin. He condemned sin in the flesh. That the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Now listen to this. In verses 5 and 6 of Romans 8, it says, For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to be carnally minded or worldly minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. So Paul's already laid the foundation, and if you've been trekking with us thus far, we were born with a worldly way of thinking and living. According to what the Scriptures tell us, to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. So legalism, which was Judaism creeping into the church of Galatia or trying to add on top of what God's Word says in order to be righteous, Legalism caters to man's flesh. Our abilities to save ourselves, To do something. To earn our way. And see, it's a worldly way of thinking, that is. And that brings death. It brings confusion. It brings pressure. But to be spiritually minded brings life and peace. And so verse 12, he says, Brethren, I urge you to become like me, for I became like you. And you have not injured me at all. Paul wanted them now to imitate him as he imitated Christ. And really, this is what all good spiritual leaders will do for their people. They will give them an example to follow that is consistent with Scriptures. This is what parents need to do for their children. This is what friends need to do for their friends. They need to live their life according to what God's Word says and be consistent and be scripturally based. But not only that, also... To add to that, Paul was free in Christ. You know the story of Paul. He had already come out of Judaism. 
The very thing that they had been sucked into, he had already come out of, and he was free in Christ. He had great liberty through faith in Jesus. He was no longer entangled in his own attempts at righteousness, but was found righteous by grace from God through faith in Jesus. And so even as Paul followed Jesus, had great liberty in Christ, he would encourage the Galatian Christians to leave as he left Judaism. And then furthermore, I think it's important to note too, Paul was not speaking to them from a place where they had hurt him. Though he had used very strong words to describe to them the error of their spiritual ways. Sometimes people will think that you don't like them or that you don't, or that you don't love them. You hate them because you tell them the truth. Or that you are very, very strong in helping them do what is right. He says, I am not speaking to you because my feelings have been hurt. I'm speaking to you because this is the truth of what God's Word says and I love you. In verse 13, it says, You know that because of physical infirmity I preached the Gospel to you at first. And my trial which was in my flesh you did not despise or reject, but you received me as an angel or a messenger of God even as Christ Jesus. Now, the book of Acts doesn't tell us what that trial was for Paul in his physical body. I mean, from this passage of Scripture, we think that it had something to do with his eyes, but we're not sure. But he does say, and what we do know for certain, is that the Galatians were very gracious and accepting of him, loving of him, and helping him. The Lord even used this trip to Paul. And many believe that Paul wasn't even going to go to Galatia, but rather go on to Ephesus, but that he was there in Galatia. Paul's trip to the region ended up leading to the establishment of a healthy group of believers. They received the Word of God even as if it were being delivered by Jesus Himself. And it's really a sad thing when you see a thriving group of believers. And this happens, unfortunately, time and time again where you see a church where they're growing in their knowledge and understanding of God's Word. They're growing in their love for the Lord and for each other. Growing in their faith. They're serving together only to have something happen or someone come into the church that begins to corrode the relationships in the church and even the relationship with the people and their pastor. And ultimately, their people, the people, what ends up happening is that their relationship with the Lord and how they understand the Bible changes. False teachers creeping in. Divisive people creeping in. Those that are spreading lies entering into the church. Paul is reminding them of the relationship that they had and that he was the same man that they took care of with his physical infirmity that preached them the Gospel and he's not angry at them, he's not upset at them, but he cannot change the truth of God's Word. And he says, what then, verse 15, was the blessings you enjoyed? For I bear you witness that if possible, you would have plucked out your own eyes and given them to me. This is where we come to the conclusion that it may have been an infirmity that Paul had in his eyes. And the people of the church would have done anything for Paul because of their great love for him, even pluck out their own eyes. The point being is that they loved Paul. 
But now they were upset with him because of these false teachers that had crept into the church and had sought to turn people to themselves so that they might accomplish their own agenda. In verse 16, where we conclude today, he says, Have I therefore become your enemy because I tell you the truth? What a powerful question right there. Have I now become your enemy? The one who shared the Gospel with you. The one who led you to faith. The one that has cultivated the relationship that you have with the Lord. Have now, have now I become your enemy because I tell you the truth. Truth versus feelings or emotions is always an issue that pops up in the life of the church. Truth versus emotions. Because we will allow our emotions or how we feel about a matter to cloud our judgment. We make emotional decisions based upon hearsay or one side of the story or what our perception is or just quite frankly, not what the Bible says, but how I feel about it. And then everything becomes relative to my view and my perspective. And then everybody has their own view or own perspective on that. And then we start establishing what truth is based upon our perception. And then everybody just does what's right in their own eyes and what they think is right. And there's no biblical foundation or authority to any of it. Pastor David Guzik says this, and I quote, the Galatians needed the truth more than they needed to feel good about where they were at. End of quote. So in the world of warm fuzzies and tickling ears, the Galatians needed the truth more than what would make them feel good about where they were at. And to even take two quotes from David Guzik and where he quotes from Calvin and Boyce, and though I'm not endorsing particular doctrinal views, these quotes pertaining to these passages of Scriptures I think are apropos. It says this, and I quote from Calvin, it is not enough that pastors be respected if they are not also loved. Both are necessary, otherwise their teaching will not have a sweet taste and he declares that both had been true of him among the Galatians. He had already spoken of their respect, and now he speaks of their love. End of quote. And from Boyce, I quote this, to the, to the degree that ministers and teachers of the Word of God do teach the Word, to that same degree should they be received as the Galatians received the Apostle Paul. Ministers should not be received and evaluated on the basis of their personal appearance, intellectual attainments, or winsome manner, but as to whether or not they are indeed God's messengers bearing the Word of Christ. End of quote. See, that's the most important thing because some will seek to bend the Scriptures for their own gain and some will even view the truth as being their enemy. In churches today, you can have guys that are very cool. Uh, they are intellectually elevated. They are great communicators. And they are not to be judged on those things. They are rather to be judged on whether or not they deliver the truth a.k.a. the whole counsel of God. Because apart from the truth, and I want you to be educated in this, and we need to grow and mature in this, that without the truth, factions arise, and division follows, and both are works 
of the enemy. And when there starts to become a problem where the truth is viewed as the enemy or what the Bible says is looked at as an attack, and especially in the context of church, there are some major adjustments that need to be made. Thankfully, Jesus said in John 8.32, in our last verse for this morning before we close with prayer and we'll close out our morning with worshiping the Lord, Jesus said, and you will know the truth and the truth will make you free. And that's what we want. And that's what we desire. So though we were in bondage, we were redeemed. And so may we as a church, may we as followers of Jesus not regress, but progress in the ways of the Lord and in spiritual maturity. Let's pray. Father, we thank You, Lord, for Your Word. We thank You for this passage of Scripture, Lord, that gives us such great insight to our own personal relationship with You. And not only our personal relationships, but Lord, the collective group called the church. And Lord, how we see that there is not one Bible teaching church that is exempt from the attacks of Satan externally or internally. Lord, may we be men and women of truth. And may that truth be founded upon God's Word, Lord. Your Word. May our worldview, may our decisions, may our communication not be based on emotions, but based upon fact. Emotions fluctuate. They're all over the place, Lord. But You are the same yesterday, today, and forever. And so, Lord, we ask, God, that You, as You are the way, the truth, and the life, and Lord, as Your Word is truth, and as Your truth sets us free, that we would continually walk in that place of liberty and freedom.